Today we're going to take a brief look at the plagues, the tenth plague in particular, the death of all the firstborns in the families and all the cattle in the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh shook his fist at God through the first nine plagues, and it was this plague, the death of the firstborn, that finally broke him. This is a plague and a grief that you and I can only begin to imagine. Real quick, I want to help us grasp the significance of this. If you're the firstborn in your family, male or female, any age, would you stand up? I stand with you. I'm the firstborn. And stay standing and just look around. I want us to get a sense of the death and sorrow that pummeled Egypt that night. You may be seated. Imagine that. In this group of friends and acquaintances, all of those people died that night. This plague was nothing short of war between God and Pharaoh, and all the casualties rested with Pharaoh. You open your Bibles with me to Exodus 12, if you would. We're going to read through a few verses on the 10th plague, as well as a focus on the annual tradition, the annual feast known as Passover, that God instituted at this moment for the people of Israel. You may know that there are seven Jewish feasts, four in the spring, three in the fall. All of these days were instituted by God to remind Israel of God's great salvation of the people of Israel, of His great provision, of His great blessing on them. And looking back, we now see that these feasts also had tremendous prophetic value as they pointed forward to a greater, more complete, and even eternal salvation, provision, and blessing. And that is none other than the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to die on the cross for the sins of all who would believe in him and be raised back to life the third day. He did this so that we too might be raised to eternal life as we just read about. First Corinthians chapter 15 speaks marvelously to this truth. In First Corinthians chapter 5 or 7, we see Paul said, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Remember that phrase. The Passover feast that we're going to read about here in Exodus was just a foreshadow. It was a glimpse. It was just a hint of the far, far greater rescue and salvation that was going to come. It's important to understand that we as Christians don't celebrate Passover today in the various feasts because the Old Testament rituals and traditions have been fulfilled in Christ our Passover. We no longer need a human priest to perform the sacrifices and to intercede on our behalf before God because Christ is our high priest and our Passover lamb. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 to 27 says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests, those of the Old Testament, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. 
What an incredible reality. Jesus sacrificed himself. This is the amazing love that compels us to be Christians, to be followers of Christ, to believe him. Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb once for all when he offered up himself. That is love without measure. And to think that we who believe and call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior become the full recipients of that love. What an amazing thought. Colossians chapter 2, 16 to 17 says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These all pointed to the real thing, the substance, and that is Jesus Christ himself. So why do we study the Old Testament? We've asked this question before. Why Exodus? I'm laying some foundation here for our study today as we continue through this book. We study the Old Testament because it reveals the heart and the will of God. And it also reveals the future and now present salvation that we experience. The Old Testament reveals the magnificence of our salvation The Old Testament superbly glorifies God and His love for mankind. As we study the 10th plague this morning, let me suggest four focus points. Two of these rest in the past, two rest in the present, the future, and they're parallels of each other. Number one, as we read about through the 10th plague and absorb this dominating sovereign power of God, Let us stand in awe of God's amazing rescue and salvation of the people of Israel. When I get to heaven, and I'm sure many of you would say the same thing, this is one of the replays that I'd like to watch on the big screen, the ten plagues. I just know it will drive me to the ground in the fear of the Lord and the worship of the Almighty. Secondly, Recognize the value of Israel never forgetting their incredible salvation by observing the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, etc. God knew that the people of Israel would be prone to forget, so He mercifully and He wisely instituted these holidays, these feasts, to help them remember the greatness of their salvation. This remembrance was vital for them. Focus point number three, jumping into the present. As we soak in these first two incredible points, let us then stand in even greater awe of God's more magnificent and eternal salvation and redemption of us through Jesus Christ. How terrible a mistake Follow me here. How terrible a mistake to read through the ten plagues and think that such a display of power would be more jaw-dropping than our own salvation. I dare say that the plagues pale in the light and the power of the cross and in the light and the power of the resurrection. Do we recognize 
that the eternal salvation made available to you and me blows away the temporary relief from their Egyptian, Israel's Egyptian bondage and their, give, uh, their being given the promised land. That freedom and that soil, as you know, it will come and go through the centuries for Israel. But it, and it will ultimately be fulfilled by God because of His promise, His covenant to Abraham. But our salvation, think about this, our salvation is securely ours now and forever. Stand in awe of your salvation. Focus point number four. Let us recognize the value, the value and the critical necessity, the deep impact that will have on us of never forgetting how great our salvation is, particularly as we partake of the Lord's table, communion, which we are going to do today. So we have these four focus points as we read through the majority of this chapter. We have Israel's great salvation and their need to never lose sight of it, our even greater salvation, and our need to never lose sight of it. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me as we go to the Word? Heavenly Father, we can barely even scratch the surface of how great our salvation is, but your Word magnificently reveals it to us. And so we ask today that you would open our eyes wider. We ask that your Spirit would give us an understanding that is greater than we have ever had before of the magnificence of your power and particularly how it is demonstrated through your salvation of us. Can we even begin to, to comprehend the power of the cross, the victory over death itself, the victory over the curse and the power of sin, the granting of eternal life to sinners? What a thought! that you would trade our sin for the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Help us to stand in awe today and to never lose sight of you and what you have done, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. I am mostly going to read straight through the majority of this chapter with a little bit of minor commentary here and there. My goal is largely to let the text speak for itself. I want us to absorb it as a whole so that we can get to the Lord's table this morning. Chapter 12, verse 1, follow as I read. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. This was simply the institution of the Jewish religious calendar right here. Going on to verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying... On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. So there's one of the first parallels that we see here, one of the pictures of Christ who is our unblemished lamb, our spotless sacrifice. 
He says, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Notice here, Jesus also died on the cross for us as the sun was well past its prime in the noonday. As his bl- and His blood was applied, you might say, to the doorposts of our heart. It's also important to notice in Israel at this moment that everyone needed to do this in order to be saved. There was no respect of persons, position, personal righteousness, etc. Everyone needed the blood of the Passover lamb. And such is the truth for us today. We all need Christ. Verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that same night, the flesh of the lamb, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. There is so much that you can get into on the study of this. I'll let you do that at home. There are wonderful studies on the meanings of every intricacy of these feasts. You know, the leavened bread is often associated with what in Scripture? Sin. So they were to eat unleavened bread. The bitter herbs, they were a reminder of their bitter bondage in Egypt, their slavery. Verse 9, Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its heads and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until the morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, it basically means with their, their robe, their tunic, whatever, up with their, in their belt tight, ready to run. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This was a stark reminder of their hasty exit from Egypt, God's swift rescue. And we can't miss the statement at the end here. It is the Lord's Passover. This was all God's doing. The rescue, the power, the feast, the death, the life, it all happened at the will and power of God alone. And so it is with our salvation. It is all by God's grace alone. Verse 12, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Judgment against all the gods of Egypt. We're going to look at this a little bit more over the next couple weeks when we go back and study the first nine plagues. But for now, we recognize that these plagues were indeed a judgment over all the false, false gods of Egypt, many of them. Israel's God had declared his supreme power over all the false gods of the Egyptians. He authoritatively declared, I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Again, this is the heart of God in the Old Testament, revealing the same heart of God in the new. 
when Jesus, the spotless Passover lamb, died, his blood was applied to all those who would believe in him. And they are spared the eternal judgment of God, just like the firstborn in the homes of Israel were spared when the destroyer came over Egypt and saw the blood on the doorposts of their home. So it is with us. We are spared the penalty of sin that Zeke mentioned in, in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin. We are spared that death, that eternal separation from God in hell. This is what the Bible teaches. Verse 14 now speaks of the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Both the Passover feast just mentioned and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we're about to look at, were instituted for the purposes of worship to the Lord and remembrance of what He has done. It was a memorial, and the purpose of memorials is to help people not forget the things that are most important to them. If you think about it, a nation's holidays say much about that nation's values, about their history and the events that define them. Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread defined this newly budding nation. It marked their history Specifically, God's part in continuing to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant, God's promise to make a great nation through Abraham and to give them a promised land and to bless all the nations of the world through them, etc. Verse 15 gives us more detail on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person. That alone may be prepared by you. You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien, that would be an immigrant, or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. There is a reason God is repeating himself. He does not want anyone to miss the point here. Now, when I read that, perhaps when you read that, we first think, wow, that is a serious punishment for eating the wrong kind of bread and for not cleansing your house of every bit of leaven. You mean if you eat just a little bit of leaven, you lose your citizenship? And yes, that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what that meant. And that is a very harsh punishment. But we would fall short of the meaning here if we end with the conclusion that that would just be really harsh. The question is this. 
What does such a severe judgment tell us about how important these annual memorials are to God? How important does this judgment tell us that remembrance is for the nation of Israel? Clearly, this is of massive importance. These remembrances are vital to Israel's proper God-focused perspective of life and even of God himself. Verse 21, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel that is the, over the door and the two door posts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Are you beginning to absorb some of what is at play here? Lord willing, we're going to go look at this more in three weeks. The importance of passing on our testimony to our children and our children's children. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were not only for the adults to remember what they had experienced. It was to teach their children the works of the Lord and the power of His might in the past that their children might learn and that they too would fear and love God and experience His salvation for themselves. Oh, how necessary it is for us dads and moms to anchor this truth into our families. Christ-centered celebrations, the regular rehearsal of what God has done in the past in mom and dad and in the history of the Bible. How often do our children hear us reminisce of the miracles that God has done in our lives? More on this in a few weeks when the text addresses this again. Verse 28. Then the sons of Israel went and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. 
Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go, and bless me also. I hear that phrase at the end again, and bless me also. My tendency at first was to chuckle every time I heard Pharaoh say that, as if to say, and don't forget to say a prayer for me while you're at it, right? But the more I read that, the more my heart aches for the lostness of Pharaoh and all those today who were like him. Undoubtedly, Pharaoh was polytheistic. He believed in many gods, the numerous gods of Egypt, the god of the harvest, the god of fertility, the god of the sun, the moon, the stars, etc. And in Pharaoh's misguided sense of all things religious, he sincerely cries out, and don't forget to say a prayer for me too. Sadly, Pharaoh's problem was that he went to his deathbed believing in all the gods. A shotgun approach to covering all his religious bases. And the problem with that is that it defies the true God. The God who said what? I am the Lord. There is none like me in all the earth. I am. That is my name. I am the self-existing one. I am in the midst of the earth. All these messages he gave to Pharaoh during the first nine and tenth plague. The reality for Pharaoh and you and me and everyone is that we can't believe all of those truths about the one true God and believe all the other gods. God demands exclusivity. I am the Lord. Jump to verse 42 with me. Speaking of Passover, you have this summary comment. It is a night to be observed for the Lord. For having brought them out of, from the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. It is for the Lord. Scripture repeats itself. God repeats himself for a reason. He deserves to be worshipped. When we remember his power and we remember his great salvation, we too should bow low and worship. I want you to ponder with me for a moment. What would happen if the people of Israel forgot how amazing their salvation was? What would happen if they forgot how powerful their God was? How would that impact their view of everything in life? You don't have to be a psychologist or a sociologist or an anthropologist to know and to recognize that forgetting the power of God and their salvation would totally warp their views of everything to come. It would warp their views of the trials they were about to experience. It would warp their view of comfort. It would warp their view of love. It would warp their faith. It would warp their courage. It would warp their values, how they choose to spend their time and their resources. 
It would warp their view of others. And as well, it would indeed warp their view of themselves. You see, one wouldn't have to think long about their personal worth when they recognize what God went through to rescue them. Now jump forward some 3,500 years to today. What happens when you and I forget or even begin to lose sight of how amazing our salvation is? What happens when we forget the power of God that conquered what we call death? What happens when we forget about the power of God that raised His Son back to life? How does that impact our view of everything in life when we forget such things? We don't have to be a pastor to recognize that forgetting the power of God in our salvation warps our views of everything. It warps our views of the trials we're in and the trials we're about to go through. It warps our view of comfort. It warps our faith. It warps our courage. It warps our values, how we choose to spend our time and resources. It warps our view of love. It warps our view of others, both Christians and non-Christians. And it even warps our view of ourselves. If God was willing to send His own Son to die for us, then that's what we're worth to Him. The life of His own Son, that is our value. Can you think of a greater value? Christian friend, we must remember and remind ourselves often of both the power of God and what He has done for us who He is, and what He has done. If you haven't believed and accepted the love of God and His forgiveness of your sins, can I echo what Zeke said? Why not today? As we're going to see in the next few chapters as we study in the weeks to come, Pharaoh thought that he had one more day to resist the God of Israel. And he never lived to see that day. Why not repent and believe today? John 3, 16, Zeke read and to 21, we find these words of Jesus. For God so loved the world. That was his motivation. That was the cause. That was the compelling force. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is what we are all about. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as have been, having been wrought in God. 
And what is the work that is wrought by God and in God that is revealed? It is the work of salvation. It is the work of forgiveness. This is the great work that God wants to do in every one of us. The trading, think of that, the trading of our sins for the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. The day is going to come when the light is going to shine. And for some, it will reveal sin and the punishment that goes with it. And for those who believe, the light will reveal the soul that has been forgiven of every sin, washed clean, made white as snow, as the Scripture says. And there is an eternal life in heaven with the Lord for such a person. What will the light reveal for you when the light of eternity and the holiness of God shines upon you? If the men would please come at this time and go ahead and serve communion. Everyone, please hold the bread and the cup until I pray in just a few minutes. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then communion, as you know, is your wonderful opportunity to remember the power of God and what He has done for you. And oh, how we need to remember it. That's why Jesus gave us this ordinance of communion. He wisely and mercifully, just like He did for the people of Israel, He knew that we would need to be reminded often of His power and the greatness of His salvation to us. Remember it well today. And friend, if you don't believe, I want you to know that we fully respect that. You can pass the elements on to the next person. But think about what the Bible says. As we've seen in the past few weeks of study in the book of Exodus, God is a loving and He is a merciful and He is a patient God. But as Moses learned and Pharaoh found out, it's best not to test the patience of God. If you want to believe, you just simply pray in your heart and tell God you believe. You believe what He says in His Word. You believe Him. You confess that you're a sinner who needs forgiveness. You confess that you're a sinner who cannot remove their own guilt. There is no amount of good works that can remove sin from the life of a person. This is not a deal we wage with God because there is no deal of good works that can ascertain to the holiness of God. His presence demands perfection. No impurity. That's why a lot of good works and a handful of bad works will never get a person to a he in heaven. If you want to believe, you confess that you're a sinner who needs the forgiveness and cleansing that only God can provide through Jesus. If you believe that, Scripture promises you will be saved. Those are the words of Scripture. If at any point here today or in the near future you make that decision, I encourage you to come and tell us 
tell me, tell Pastor Mark, tell someone here so that we can celebrate with you and so we can welcome you into the family of God and support you in your walk with Christ. Your life will be changed forever. That's a promise from me, from those who know here, but most importantly, that is a promise from God. And it is yours to be had for free. We cannot insult God with the attempt to buy his salvation. It's for the free if you will believe and take it. This is the love of God that compels us to follow him. And I want you to know that not only do we want to support you and your newfound faith, but we need you as well. You see, it's why Scripture calls us the body of Christ. We're all in this working and serving together. We're here for each other. We're here for the Great Commission. We're here together for the glory of God, and every person is needed. That is one of the most special things in the world, a place to belong like no other. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 forward says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we are so honored by the grace and goodness and love of God to be able to personally remember what you have done for us. Such a great salvation reveals such an amazing God. And today, Lord, we bow low and we worship you, the one true God who cared about us. You made us in your image and you've rescued and redeemed us. Thank you, Lord, for such a great salvation. Today, we're mindful of the price you paid. You sent your own son. I dare say there is not one in this room who could repeat that act. Who would sacrifice their own son for others? Yet you, because you loved so much, you sent your son. His body was broken and his blood was shed. He sacrificed himself as our Passover lamb. Thank you, Lord. I pray if there is one here who has not accepted the simple gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sin, I pray that you would give them the understanding they need, the faith they need to believe this moment. We rejoice in you, Lord. We rejoice in your power. You are the one who gives us the lens to see all things in this life. You are the sovereign God. As we partake of this bread and this cup, we are overjoyed at you. We worship you, Lord. Thank you for such a great salvation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may partake of the bread and the cup.